0: Uh, hopefully, uh, weekly, before we start these, uh, in the email update, you will get a, a link every Wednesday. If you're not in the email update, go to our website and sign up for it, but you'll get a link uh, for the for all the colored things if you want to print them at home, so you can have those before you get here if you want to read through it. Uh, there is uh, a lot of what I'm talking about is in there. It's just kind of condensed a lot from what I'm going to talk about tonight. All right, we're going to pray and we're going to start. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for being a God who has revealed yourself to us and that we can be a people who follow you and honor you as you have been revealed. We ask that as a people, uh, we would trust you for the things that you have said and though many times because our culture makes us want to question you, we would ultimately come out on the side where we trust you for all things because you are true. Amen. All right. So if you have a Bible, I think I might even be your notes, but if you have a Bible, open to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I don't know where this class is going to be. He's up in front. (laughs) Where this class is going to be remembered in the course of Element. Uh, But I hope we don't confuse you tonight. Uh, I'm going to start with this verse. We're going to just talk about it briefly. And the rest of the time, I'm just going to give you a lot of information because this is kind of the, the foundation of where we're starting and then moving on from. Uh, you probably have no idea what we're going to do or where we're going to go. And at the end of it, I hope you're not as confused as I just made it sound like it's going to be right now. Uh, our goal is to always help you grow. Uh, Element U is going to be a series that we offer in the fall and in the spring. Uh, there's going to be short series because we found that after about four or six weeks you guys all peter out. So we're going to hopefully get you guys to come back if we don't again thoroughly confuse you tonight, get you to come back for the next three weeks after tonight, so four weeks total. uh, And we'll do six weeks again in the spring. Uh, This whole coherence theory, it's to help you and I understand the culture that is around us. Uh, This is an idea of what's called one and two. And that'll make sense as we begin to go and progress through this. But it's uh, just help you to understand why our culture is actually the way that it is. And then hopefully in the end, by the end of this course, you get what we can actually then do about it. Uh, in the spring, we're going to talk about apologetics for six weeks, which, which will give you uh, some be- reasons to be able to stand for the hope that you have. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, this is what it says. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits, and the teaching's And teachings of demons. That in the Greek has a definite article and it's literally the teachings of demons. And then Paul goes on to kind of talk about what those are. He says, Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who receive and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, those who are believers, so Timothy, if you do this, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine. And this is actually, literally translated, the good teaching. It's there to juxtapose what happened in verse 1, the teachings of demons versus the good teaching of Jesus Christ, that you have followed. Paul wants Timothy to teach his people the difference between the doctrine of demons and the good doctrine of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of one of the things we always want to do at Element. We don't actually call it that because a lot of people would freak out and run out the doors if we just said demons every single week. Uh, Apparently people in that time, so unlike today, were confused about what the gospel really is. And that seems to be actually a problem we do have. Just a few decades ago in America, you could walk around and you could tell the essential story of who Jesus was and what he has done. And most people would know exactly what you were saying. They would understand those words. When you say Jesus died for your sins, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I know what sins are. I know Jesus died. I get that. There was a consciousness that was aware of the basic story of the scriptures. But that is not true today. Uh, If you were to go down to a major metropolitan city, not so much Santa Maria, but even just like Santa Barbara or San Luis Obispo, that same cultural consciousness is no longer there. America has gone through a culture shock in the last 50 years or so, and it has changed its spirituality completely. Uh, This has affected our education system and all forms of media. Uh, In the 60s, there started to be this shift that something new was kind of happening. There's a new arrival of a new age of spirituality, and this was becoming a backlash against. Secular humanism. Uh, in, in the 60s, the great threat to Christianity was the commies behind every bush, and then Marxism with its secular humanism behind it. And so, as secular humanism began to decline, this new spirituality started on the rise, and it's come to fruition in today's culture. In one sense, every generation is going to look at the one that comes after it. And they're going to say, man, they're horrible. Look at them. They chew gum. They play video games. They don't even know how to work a job. What a disgusting group of people. How are they ever going to be able to move on from where we are and keep going? Everything's going to fall when they take over. And yet, in the end, everything kind of seems to work out. But a lot of commentators today are looking around at this current generation, and they actually see something different. And a lot of people point back into the 60s, and I know some of you guys live through that. In the 60s, Bob Dylan wrote these lyrics, and it said, Come mothers and fathers throughout the land, and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand, for the times they are a change in. Uh, today there's a radical shift in western history and too many of us today who weren't didn't live through the 60s were simply born into that new way of thinking it's just part of who we are our ethos and so we we're walking through this thinking that everything is just normal and how it always has been but it hasn't always actually been that way and so there's a lot of changes taking place, and they create a sense of confusion about what the gospel really is and what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to do. Because in the end, the gospel is about Jesus saving us and not us saving ourselves. And so all of these ideas that have come to fruition about how these people in the 60s lived through that, and they had kids, and those kids have now had kids, and those kids are coming to the place where it's like everything is relative. There are no absolutes, and that just is the most natural thing in the world to them. And so our whole culture's idea about existence has really changed. And there are two worldviews today, and what they're doing is they're rubbing against each other. They're like uh, tectonic plates. And you live in California, you know what those are. Oh, earthquake, right? When they rub, earthquakes kind of begin to take place. And these earthquakes are coming down to the life and liberty for all people. Many Americans who call themselves Christians are actually holding and preaching to the wrong tectonic plate. And so it's like, oh, you know, and so they're speaking a lie. And so these questions come about is what world do we live in? What's going to dominate? What should be suppressed? And so when we begin to talk about this, we're talking about things called one-ism and two-ism. These are both uh, terms that are coined by a guy named Dr. Peter Jones, and they are an easy way to simply look at and remember what's happening in the world around us as we're shifting from a biblical view to something else. It's a great way, having those terms in your mind, to talk to people holding on to certain things that you necessarily might not, and the truth of what you're looking at. So... One and two. Uh, one-ism uh, is something that we would call the lie. Okay? One-ism is essentially the pagan doctrine of idolatry. It is a teaching and belief that there are no distinctions between creator and creation or the denial of the creator altogether. Uh, the popular word for this today is what's called monism. Monism. Uh, oneism is what our culture, TV shows, new media, government, spiritual leaders are all espous- espousing. This is the eradication of all boundaries and differences and distinctions. And it's trying to make everything all together as one. Now, there's a materialistic mode of oneism, and it's called atheism okay and there's a spiritual form of oneism and it's called uh, the new age movement or new spirituality or integrative spirituality uh, according to spiritual oneism, the universe is a living organism and within that organism there's a spiritual force present that is within everything everything is interconnected by the life force or the world soul this is when you hear people say things like well the universe must have meant this to happen or the oh the universe brought about this or the universe that that's that idea now visually you can think of this in terms of a circle okay one-ism. Creator, creation, everything goes into one big circle. It's all interconnected. The circle itself serves as the defining characteristic of pagan idolatry. And we're going to come back to this as we go through these things. Now, as a worldview, one-ism actually stands antithetical to a Christian two-ism. And I'll explain what two-ism is in just a moment. Because what it does, it seeks to place everything within this one circle. What that means is, number one, there is no distinction between God, uh, the creator, and his... Creation, and what this results in is things called like pantheism or panentheism, where even some Christian pastors are advocating this today. Where oh, everything is one; we are all one. The force is in the tree; it's in the rock; it's in you. You know that 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 whole thing right there. Secondly, what this brings is there's no distinction between God and mankind. And so what this does, the results in a spirituality, it does not look humbly out to God for salvation, but it looks arrogantly inward into self for enlightenment. It's like what does your heart say, or follow your heart, or your heart can't be wrong, or I just feel so strongly about this thing. Thirdly, there is no distinction between good and evil. And so this results in the claims that we all have our own perspectives, we all have our own, per, uh, own, own opinions, we've all grown up in certain cultures, and so we all just kind of believe certain things and values because there are no timeless moral truths that apply to all people and times and places. Because all that's left when you get to the end of this is just situational ethics. Whatever situation you're in, well, that's what ethic works for you. Fourthly, there is no distinction between mankind and animals. And what this happens is this results in radical animal rights activism. People who refer to their pets as their babies. And in some cities, you know, it's a disdain for children, but a love for animals. Uh, this is expressed in things like doggy spas and doggy daycares. Legislation that is now trying to allow animals to eat in restaurants with their owners. People, if you take your dog anywhere besides PetSmart with you, there's something wrong with you. Okay? Stop carrying it around in your purse. It's not a person, it's a dog. That's just my own personal opinion. Number five. (laughs) He's at home in the backyard right now. Digging up my wife's flowers, I am sure. (laughs) Number five. Also, there's no distinction between mankind and the rest of creation. And this then results in radical environmentalism that moves beyond stewarding the creation because we're called to steward the creation correctly. And so what it does is it deifies creation as our Mother Earth. Oh, nature is angry. Oh, our Mother Earth is this or our Mother Earth... Is that. And it becomes all this opposition in cultivating creation for human life and flourishing. You know, there, there's all these things, oh, you can't do that there, you can't do that there, you can't do that there. Oh, because, because we're protecting the earth. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know, look out for the earth and try and help things out, but the earth was there for human beings to cultivate and move culture forward. It wasn't there to dominate us, we were there to steward it. Uh, sixthly, when you look at oneism, there becomes no distinction between men and women. Okay? And this results in an asexual androgyny. If you look at a lot of the clothes that come out today and what people are wearing, there, there is no men and women. And this results in transgenderism, and it results in homosexuality and cross-dressing. And Romans 1 says this is a logical conclusion of oneism. In Romans 1, when, when Paul does this whole thing about people who start to worship creation rather than the creator, he moves to a place, and at the end he uses an example of homosexuality. Now, he doesn't do that to say, oh, they're, they look at those terrible, awful, horrible people. He does it to say this is the natural progression of when you begin to worship creation rather than the creator. When you begin to see everything as one, there is no distinctions between anything. And then number seven, there is no distinction between religions. Okay, And this results in a vague spirituality that believes all the answers to all the world's problems are religious and spiritual in nature and can only be overcome when all religions become the same and worship together as one. Now, in Christianity, you know, we make distinctions because the God of the scriptures make distinctions. And so we see distinctions between God and man, Jesus and Satan, angels and demons, heaven and hell, man and animals, holiness and sin, the Bible and all other texts, male and female, uh, heterosexuality and any other sexuality, truth and error, good and evil. These are all considered fundamental to Christianity. But these are also all considered a fundamental threat to the utopia of world peace and love and oneness that pagans are pushing for today. All right? Now, Tuism. Tuism sees the distinction between the creator and the creation. 2 is a biblical doctrine that there is the creator and the creation, and they are separate things. That creation is subject to the creator that actually made it. And so visually, you can think of this in terms of two circles. So you see it as two circles, creator and creation. So you have God, and then everything else goes into the other side of creation. Uh, And so Christianity is two circles. Now tonight, as we walk through some of this, this might be thoroughly depressing for you. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through some of the victories that oneness is having over two-ism. But don't think in the end of this that you're without hope. Essentially, the first three weeks of Element U is probably going to be very sad for you. Okay, Please don't think that we are bemoaning our evil culture or those people out there are horrible. We tell you this because you need to see and know the truth. You need to stop feeling like you have to fight for victory and realize Jesus has already won the victory. And our job is now to win people over with grace and truth. We don't protest and yell, but we honor God's image in his creation. We understand that sometimes we'll chafe up against these things. We won't like them, but what God calls us to is what he calls us to, and we live what he calls us to because he is creator and we are creation. So I'm going to run through a whole list of these things in these two areas where one is losing and one is winning because this is literally like a revolution. I put these all in your notes. Uh, first off, is that today you will see the, the victory of the sexually liberated over the sexually inhibited. They will say, oh, you're repressed, you're inhibited, and no one wants to be inhibited or repressed. Oh my goodness, that, that's horrible. We should be able to do whatever we want to do. We should be able to do just what my heart tells me I should do. So I should be able to be sexually liberated and do what I want. And if you don't think I get to do what I want, then you're inhibited. That's what the victory is seen as. Uh, you have the victory of the sexually active young over virginity. How many kids today are embarrassed if they're a virgin and they would actually say that out loud? You have a movie, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's a comedy, right? It's not a movie about a badge of honor of, I didn't get married till I was 40 and I waited. That's not what the movie is. A comedy. You poor guy. You waited till you were 40. What's wrong with you? You nut job. That's, that's the movie. You have the victory of recreational sex over procreational sex. Now, not that sex is not meant to be enjoyable. It is. If you're married, we encourage sex for all of you. Lots. It's great. Do it all the time. That's, that's what we want. But in the scriptures, married sex, and children are all connected. It doesn't mean if you're in a marriage and, and you can't have kids that, oh, you're not supposed to enjoy sex. It's that you don't try and run away from children when they come. They are interconnected. You have the victory of condoms over abstinence. Uh, where we don't even think, oh, we can't teach kids abstinence in school. We'll just hand out condoms. That's what we'll do. They're not going to listen anyway. Uh, you have cohabitation over marriage. And I could talk about each one of these one at a time as we go through them, but I'm not going to. You can fill in a lot of details of your own on some of them. You have the victory of divorce over lifelong monogamy. Uh, you have the victory of a woman's right to abort her child over an unborn child's right to life. Uh, you have the victory of a collapsing birth rate over a baby boom. Uh, you have the victory of women as breadwinners over women as mothers where, oh, don't think of yourself as a mother. You're a breadwinner. Go out there and, and work hard. And, and I'm not trying to sound like a sexist, but there is nothing better than homemade cookies and bread. <laughs> uh, you have the victory of uh, feminists over patriarchs. Uh, the word patriarch today is made to sound like it's an evil thing. Uh, that's like, how could humanity ever have had patriarchy? What's, what's wrong with that? Patriarchy is this idea that a father is responsible for his family. He's responsible before God for them, so he has authority to protect them and to love them. That is not evil. That is a very biblical and a very good thing. You have the victory of humankind over mankind. Now, today, this has actually even gone farther where a new term is being thrown around, and this term is called earthkind. You're going to start to hear this more and more, earthkind over humankind, because you're not worth more than anything else on the planet because we are all earthkind. Everything is equal. You are just like all the other kinds on the earth. You have the victory of children's rights over parental rights. You have the victory of gay rights over everybody else's rights. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to disparage this this group of people, but what I'm saying is that you have a small segment of society of the population who has dominance over the entire rest of the culture. Okay, uh, you have the victory of gay marriage as a moral value. Okay, as a moral value over sodomy that was once a moral decadence. In one generation, you have a huge cultural shift that has actually taken place. Uh, even many Christians, eighteen to thirty-year-old thirty-year-olds, being the highest percentage of this, is in favor of gay marriage by seventy-five percent. The problem is not going away. And see, behind that is actually the victory of the omni-gendered society over the male and female society. Because when you have one circle and everything goes in it, there is no distinctions. So why would you have a male and female society? Everybody's the same, so it's an omni-gendered society. And these are the words that are starting to be used now. Omnigendered society, where gender is decided by your unconscious self. How do I feel about it? You know, so if you're a man and yet you feel like a woman by law in certain places, you get to choose which restroom you want to use. You get to choose what locker room you want to use if you're in high school. It's crazy. I mean, if I was in high school, I'd be like, yeah, I feel like a woman. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, You have the victory of moral chaos over moral consensus. Because in the circle, what everybody believes is right. There is no absolute truth. I mean, there's so much confusion today over what is right and what is wrong. I would hate to be arrested for something and have a jury of my peers judge me because no one's going to agree. You have the victory of relative truth over absolute truth. You have the victory of moral ambiguity over moral clarity. You have the victory of freedom over commitment. You have the uh, victory of rights and entitlements over responsibility and service. You have the victory of the me, you know, what each person wants, give me over the we as society as a whole. You have the victory of immediate gratification over delayed gratification. We have to have it now. You have the victory of a guilt-free conscience over a sensitive conscience. In the stupid summer, we talked about what a conscience is, and it's a good thing. But our culture continues to try and override that from your conscience being sensitive to where your conscience needs simply to be guilt-free. Just get rid of all guilt. Because if everything in the circle over here and everything is right, well, there is no wrong, so you should be able to get rid of all guilt. You have the victory of lust over modesty. I don't know if you watch TV today. Holy cow. Okay. Okay. You have the victory of commercialism over honest business practices, where a lot of people will go into stores today hoping the person behind the counter makes a mistake so we get something cheaper than it actually was for on the shelf and we won't say anything at all. You have the victory of self-interested lying over honest t- truth telling, where people are so ready to lie today. But then that goes back to, you know, our consciousness being seared and we don't want it, we just want to be not guilty. We don't want to, have to feel bad for anything that we're doing. I mean, look at Washington, D.C. I mean, perfect example of what's going on right now, right? I mean, it's like, it's those guys. It's those guys. I'll tell you, if politicians' mouths are moving, they're lying. Okay? I don't care. Obama down to half of our local representatives. I'm telling you, all of them. It's it's just what we are. Uh, You have the victory of new history over patriotic history. This is where certain things where George Washington, right, Uh, a guy who had integrity and honesty, and then yet he was in a culture that had slaves, right, and so they look at George Washington and say, well, nothing he did really matters because he had slaves, so every other thing he did is just worth nothing, not looking at the fact that when when he died, he actually set them all free and gave them all enough money to be able to live, and they actually had been paying for jobs for the places where he lived, but they look at that and say, oh, he had those, so therefore he is evil, and everything he did was evil. I mean, Columbus, you know Columbus, he's horrible. Look what Columbus did. He's, he's now the villain. Today, we now have Indigenous People Day over Thanksgiving. And it is seen as an evil holiday, Thanksgiving, when Thanksgiving was actually the harmony and coming together of two peoples working together. It was the beginning of this idea of the American melting pot. But today, you have the victory of multiculturalism over the American melting pot. You have all these people say, saying, well, you know, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and the government needs to help us out rather than saying, hey, we're all Americans coming together. You have the melting pot of religions over the gospel of truth. America is now an interfaith culture where every religion is not just protected, but most are given government money. Government you have today, the victory of government by the courts over government by the consent of the people. This is where activist judges now come in and they will not follow the law. They will make laws of their own. And this leads to, in our country specifically, you have the victory of what's called the living constitution over the written constitution. This is where the government or judges look at the constitution and they say it needs to be reinterpreted and bring out laws that are not there. And they are succeeding. So you have to understand, uh, activist judges are a relatively new way of beginning to see the world. I'll give you an example, okay? Uh, we're going to take Prop 8. You're in California. Okay, so Prop 8. And, and I'm not talking about how you feel about it, how to vote, how you voted about it, or all the smoke that's all around it. What I'm talking about is just the law, okay? You had people in California. They voted for a law. Okay, marriage is between a man and a woman. Boom, that's it. You know, the people voted. Now, because it wasn't what a segment of society wanted, they got judges involved to over. Turn it, okay? And that goes against what the Constitution originally stated, but now it is a living Constitution. It's not a written Constitution, so we can begin to overwrite all of our laws. When many people today look at the American Constitution, they understand that it reflects a biblical view of the world, and rightly so. Not a Christian worldview, okay, but more of a biblical view, so don't mistake me in that. But they see it as a bunch of religious principles they don't like. And so activist judges comes along, and they are reacting against a document that they understand that is not neutral. It's not. And so they and it proposes a the world they don't like, so they go and they make laws that actually start talking against it. Now, you guys ever heard of what's called the Earth Charter? Okay, one of you. Great. See, I'll tell you, most people in America haven't heard it. You're on par for people in America. Welcome to America. Wonderful you. Now, uh, the Earth Charter is a document that Kofi Annan of the UN uh, asked Miguel Gorbachev and Boris Strong, who was a pagan thinker, to get some people together and write what life should be like, what what life uh, should be like in the coming century. This document has actually been written. It's ready for the right moment to be brought forward to the UN Assembly and voted into law in the UN. And it's interesting that most Americans have never even heard of it. Okay, This document is pagan in its orientation, and its goal from Kofi Annan and the people in the UN is to eventually have this supplant, not just the American Constitution, but every country's Constitution, have them all come together as one. The documents that are there to control your lives eventually are written already. They're just waiting. Here's some things from the preamble to the earth charter. It says this, To move forward, we must recognize that in the midst of a magnificent diversity of cultures and life forms, we are one human family and one earth community with a common destiny. Now, that is true, but there's a whole lot of paganism mixed in with that as well. It says, We must join together to bring forth a sustainable global society. Earth... Our home is alive with a unique community of life. The forces of nature make existence. So the forces of nature, it's not God, the forces of nature, okay, make existence a demanding and uncertain adventure. But earth, our mother, earth, has provided the conditions essential to life's evolution. The dominant patterns of production and consumption are causing environmental devastation. The benefits of development are not shared equitably, and the gap between rich and poor are widening. This is moving towards the idea of communism or socialism. And because communism, socialism, they have the goal that everybody is the same. And in these societies, when you have pure socialism or pure communism, the way everybody becomes the same is everybody becomes destitute and poor. That's how it works. Okay, everybody's down here, and there are a few elite on the top who have everything and control everything. That's how it works. That's just simply what it is. And I'll tell you a lot of things today. This is what our government is sort of doing. I mean, I'll give you a great example. Obamacare, okay, the Affordable Care Act. Congress passes a law that all of us have to follow and exempts themselves from it. That's exactly what this is. It is socialism. Everybody's got one thing, but the people on the top don't have to follow it. And it says this, So we must decide to live with a sense of universal responsibility, identifying ourselves with the whole earth community. It's paganism. It's one Everything trying to be put in one box. Now, the earth charter, what they have also done, is they have this thing called the Ark of Hope. They have built an ark, because we talked about the Ark of the Covenant, right? You know, last Sunday morning. They have built an ark, and it looks like this. To keep the Risk charter in. It's got four rings on the side with poles, so you can carry it around just like the Ark of the Covenant. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, i got to keep going because I don't want to keep you here all night long. All right. Uh, you have the victory of the global over the national. This is what things we were just talking about. Uh, world government over nation states, which have their own governments. You have uh, the victory of special interest faculty over debate and discourse. Uh, where if truth is power, why would you give anyone a debate? Because you just give them power. It is why all debate today is being squashed. You have the victory of the Hollywood left over all entertainment in general. The control of the debate is all one-sided, so there is no debate. And we wonder why today our education system is messed up. It's because most of our education, especially higher education, is for ideological engineering. Uh, They're changing textbooks today. And if you ever heard of Common Core, this is, I mean, uh, it's approved in 45 states now. I mean, Common Core is changing everything about our history to make it look from a socialistic perspective and point of view. It is no longer academic excellence, it is ideological engineering. And this, again, is why these two plates are rubbing together. You have the victory of politically correct speech over free speech. The chairs of modern universities used to call for free speech. Now they shut down differing opinions, and they call the differing opinions hate speech. Today you have the victory of news commentary over news reporting, where they just take and they make comments. If you watch our local news, they're always making some stupid comment, and I scream at the TV, sometimes using foul language, because it drives me so nuts. You have the victory of information over understanding. We're just getting more and more information in our our world today is doubling every year and a half, but we have no understanding of what's going on. You have the victory of images over books. Images over books. Jesus reveals himself as the Logos, the Word. We will never be free from the Word. And we must make sure kids don't just play video games but can actually read. Now, a lot of parents today will take their kids and they'll put them in front of a movie, which I, that's, not a, that's not a wrong or bad thing. Put them in front of a movie. But also read books with them. Teach them how to read as a form of entertainment as well. Your kids need to learn how to read. You have the victory of the irrational over the rational. You have the victory of creation over human beings. Again, in some places in California now, you are not a pet owner, but you are now deemed a pet carer because you are both earth kind. You have the victory of eastern medicine over western medicine. It's like, don't fix my back. just stab me with a bunch of needles, put rocks on me, and fix my chakras. You have the victory of pagan spirituality over biblical spirituality. Uh, you'll see the victory of the goddess over God. Uh, the victory of the force uh, over the personal nature of the God of the Scriptures. You have the victory of spirituality over doctrine. You have the victory of natural revelation, creation over spiritual revelation, the written word of God. You have the victory of the many ways over the one way. You have the victory of the both and over the either or. I mean, today we don't like to say, oh, it's either this or that. We say, oh, well, it's both and. It can be either. Yeah, that that's great. You yeah, have the victory of the Gnostic Gospels over the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are all being reported more and more in the news. Oh, we found the Gospel of Mary, we found the Gospel of Judas, we found the Gospel of Thomas. Have you read? If you ever read one of these Gnostic Gospels, they do not read like the Gospels. They're all written hundreds of years after Christ, written by people called Gnostics. They all talk about the eons and the force of the ages. And as, back, as a matter of fact, the Gospel of Thomas, the most popular one, it, Jesus is quoted as saying that in order for women to be saved, He's going to make you all male. Yeah, so don't believe when they say, oh, okay. Uh, you have the victory of creation is God over God is the creation of all life. And you also have the victory of common era uh, and before common era over uh, before Christ and Anno Domini. Okay, BC and AD. The only reason you would change BC and AD to BC and BCE is taking out Christ. That is the, that's still the same reference point. The only reason you take it out is to get rid of the person of Christ. We are trying to move away in our country from the idea of Christ as the central, central person of, of history. See, it seeks to displace Christ. You know, B.C. and A.D. has been eliminated from all textbooks in the last 20 years, even theological textbooks. Okay, even theological textbooks, and that's revolutionary. You know, I have winter break instead of Christmas break. You have spring break instead of Easter. It's all a conscious effort to get rid of any reference to Christ. And because our culture has had a very strong foundation of these biblical ideals, and in a lot of places, some Christians who are involved in that, so Christian ideals, these systems of one and twoism are always butting heads and coming into conflict. And it makes the times we live in much more confusing. So, what I want to do. Tonight is give you three points of a pagan worldview. I think it will help you understand the world that is around you, the things that are pagan, and you'll be better able to point it out and understand what people are saying and what is coming through your TV and your radio and the books that you're reading. Hopefully when you go home and watch the evening news tonight, you can be like, oh, when you watch your favorite TV show, you'll be like, oh, and you'll begin to see these things uh, because many of the things that our culture hold, holds to today is in the roots of paganism. And the first one is this, all is one and one is all. Okay? That's the circle. Everything goes into it. Again, you think of paganism as a circle. It has to use something from, from created order, so it's going to use a circle. Okay? Now, what you'll see through all this is, I have a few slides here. Witches okay, will use a circle. And here's actually in the middle of a field where they make a, a circle. Okay? So witches have their circles. Uh, you, in Hinduism, you have the swastikas. Okay, so you don't, don't think, you know, Nazis. Okay, they, this was actually the symbol that they use uh, for the eternality of time and matter. It's, it's the circle. Uh, you have the uh, Aborigines, you know, in Australia. You know, people who have been segregated from almost everybody until just, you know, a few centuries ago. No contact with the outside world. And what do they use? They use the circle for their dreaming. You have Buddhist and Taoist worship. They use Mandela circles. Okay? Uh, and Native Americans, they, they have uh, medicine wheels, dream catchers, drum circles. It's all the circle. It's all the, uh, that song in uh, The Lion King, it's the circle of life, right? That, that's, that's, the, that's the idea. I mean, you've got to understand this. Uh, 95% of Americans claim to believe in God. They claim to be spiritual. That is more people than brush their teeth every day. Okay? Just think about that. All right? But this is what they're believing. Well, it's whatever you want to believe. Everything's the same. And so the circle represents everything being united, being united together. Mono, again, is the theory of oneness. Monopoly. Okay, monopoly. One company dominates the market. Monogamy. One couple in marriage that stays together is only intimate with each other. Monotony. How you feel about how long I've been talking. That's... So when you you start the idea of oneism or monism, that is the foundational state of everything in paganism. In the one circle is everything, the rocks, the stars, you, God. For them, it animates all thinking and all life, and it shows itself in what is taking place today. Pagan means from the land. It's come to mean those who worship the earth, because in the end, everything is ultimately about worship. And there are all kinds of monism because every time you try to describe the world by the world without anything outside of it, you will end up with monism. So you can have, which is called spiritual monism, which again is witchcraft and Hinduism and Buddhism and all that. You have materialistic monism and this would be atheism or agnostics because again it tries to describe the world from within the world so everything fits in one circle. It's still a form of monism. Every system that does not accept God as creator at its core is a monistic system. And so what's now arriving today is something that's very old, which is religious monism or which we would call paganism. And so you have this you know, religious monism that's rising to the, to the top with spirituality and its worldview and is taking over everything. I'll give you some examples. Okay, uh, Oprah Winfrey, when she left her TV show, She went on the Sirius uh, radio network, and she decided that she's going to be teaching segments from the book A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles is essentially, in its core, a pagan uh, textbook. And so over the course of the year, she's teaching this out. And so she's deciding that she is going to help everyone that listens to her, many of them Christians, learn how to be pagans. Oprah Winfrey. Okay. The Dalai Lama in 2007 comes to America, visits George Bush. They go to the National Cathedral. You know what they do in the National Cathedral? They make Mandela circles. In the National Cathedral, I think I have a picture of it. Oh, that's part of my version. Oh, did I put it in the wrong order? Oh, dag nabbit. I've got a picture of it somewhere. Yeah, uh, it should be a bunch of Buddhist monks in the center of a... No? It's not in there? I have a picture of it somewhere. I'm so sorry. Okay. Epic fail, me, sorry. Anyway, so i got a picture of it. I can show it to you at some point. But, but these monks went they the actual Mandela circles in the National Cathedral to symbolize that all religions are one. Everything comes together, peace and healing. And again, we, we use the term new age in a lot of churches, but they don't use that term, so we shouldn't use it anymore, I guess. And so they, again, they call themselves new spirituality or integrated spirituality. And all again, these groups use the circle for unity. Obi-Wan Kenobi, right, in, in Star Wars says, the force is an energy field created by all living things it rounds us it penetrates us it binds the galaxy together it's all powerful and controls everything into which we contribute our own energy i like to say the force is duct tape you know it's it's dark on one side and light on the other and holds everything together there you go now george lucas said that one of the reasons he made star wars was that he wanted to introduce buddhism to america how's he doing pretty good Pretty good. In one-ism, there is no single person, place, or thing that is God because everything and every place and everything is God. We're all in the circle. The circle is divine, which means we are all divine because we are all in the circle. Now, the Parliament for World Religions, which was that one picture I, that he showed up just a second ago, the, the one of the guy, downside with the mic. That one right there. Okay, The Parliament for World Religions there's a stage on it just a couple of years ago had representatives of all the world religions starts with the liberal professor in his robes on one side, go from cardinals to Christians to eastern religions and on and on and on and on and the last person on the stage is a priest of Isis who is a witch, this shows up everywhere at the council of world religions a Christian Episcopal, Episcopal Bishop was quoted as saying this God is not a supernatural being ruling over humanity, God is the power of love that flows through each one of us the source of light and love, the ground of But life has taught us that theism is dead. Now, where in the world, in our history, would you ever have thought someone who called themselves a Christian would say that? Today, it's natural and normal for a Christian to say something like that because it is oneism. Okay, secondly, they believe that humanity is one. They see humanity as a microcosm of the cosmos, cosmos as a whole. Al Gore, in his book, Earth and the Balance, describes human beings as holograms, an expression of a holistic view. So we carry in as the truth about everything. If you want to know the truth about anything, you go within yourself to find that truth. And So if you're a pagan, you're stuck in a circle. Going within is just simply consistent. Uh, Jesuit theologian, uh, Teilhard de Chardin, in the book Phenomenon of Man, he sees the whole universe as endowed with a collective consciousness that needs to come back together. He says his collective consciousness is merging into a union of the whole human species into a single interthinking group based on a single developing framework of thought called the system. Now, you don't understand what in the world he just said, okay? But, but what he said is that we're all the same and our consciousness is merging into oneness. We will one day, he says, show this idea of the newest system, the unified mind, and that we will all think the same. But here is the problem with that. When we all think the same, what he thinks is that we're all going to agree with him. And that's how most pagans think that. Oh, we know when we all think the same. Think like me. That's what they think. It is a very prideful view. And they'll be able to say they're not. They think very humble because we're very accepting. That's a very prideful view. And now, obviously, in the scriptures, we are connected. We are. We are all human. But this, for them, is a deeper level. Uh, they actually use terms like the divine spark. Oh, I saw the transformers. Just like that. Just like that. It joins us all together. Harold Bloom is a professor of Shakespeare. He is a world-renowned expert in Shakespeare, which is kind of interesting to be a world-renowned expert in Shakespeare. Uh, He was raised in a Jewish home. He became a pagan by reading the Gnostic Gospels in the 60s. And he writes that he takes God's attributes and he gives God's attributes to himself. And so he claims that he himself is uncreated like God. Because if you can say that you yourself are uncreated, then you get to choose what's right and wrong and no one has a claim upon you. And he says all of you have that as well. Eckhart Tolle uh, is a pagan, but he is used and quoted in a lot of churches today. And he says, there is something in the soul that is uncreated and uncreatable. And it sounds so nice. I could probably say that in a Sunday morning element and nobody would blink. Nobody, right? Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God, nothing else, just him. Everything else is created. There is nothing in you that is uncreated. And if you build a view of humanity and God on a false premise, even if you try to call it Christianity, it will end up being pagan and the church will fall deeper into paganism. It's why you must understand it and hear the words that people are actually saying. The third thing is that they believe that all religions are one. Again, the Parliament of World Religions. uh, Here's another picture. You guys saw this one, okay? What they have is you had 8,000 delegates there, and 125 different religions. They all join arms and they dance around the floor to Indian drum, circle, or, yeah, Indian drum circles. Okay. There's the Plains drum, and they start dancing around all together. The push of paganism and our culture today is that all religions must come together to make sure that the, that the circle is complete. The power of the circle is the pull to unity, coming together. We all have to come together. I mean, you fill that pull, right? When you talk to people and it's like, and you don't, you don't want to seem like, you know, you're the oddball out feeling like you're the, you're the judgmental guy. It's like, oh yeah, you know, let's just, and you feel that pull to try and be part of it because everybody's pulling that direction. It's why you constantly hear that God is on a mountain and there's many roads to the top and we all just take different roads and you got to respect whatever road people take. We're all raised with that. That, that all religions are just piece of the pie. They all have value. Woe to any piece would claim to be unique because you're all just part of the religious pie. No one should claim to have the truth on their own. If you're part of the pie, you need all the pieces to come together for completion. And this is why Christianity is becoming very weak today, I believe, because we have bought into that idea. See, paganism is willing to embrace Christianity as long as Christianity is willing to be just a piece of the pie, just one of the religions. And I know it sounds very arrogant, but we cannot be part of the pie. We cannot just be one of the religions. They say all pie slices meet at the center, and the center is God. You can believe anything you want as long as you celebrate the unity of the center as a whole. It's like a pizza pie. All the, all the crust on the outside, well, that's all the all the doctrines. You've got to get past the doctrines. You get to the gooey center, which is all cheese and yummy, and that's God in the middle. We all need to be united with the divine. And they argue that every religion has the goal, the central premise, the union of human and divine. Houston Smith, I don't know who he is, or Shelby Spong, writer after writer. They keep talking about this this interface syncretism. Uh, All the way back in the 1200s, there's this little poem, and it says, My soul is a mosque for Muslims, a temple for Hindus, an altar for Zoroastrians, a church for Christians, a synagogue for Jews, and a pasture for gazelles. Oh, how nice, right? But what is the center of Christianity? What is the gospel? See, when Paul goes into Athens in the book of Acts, he, you know, he runs into all these gods and all these faiths, and they're all kind of working together. And Paul goes in and says, hey, you know all those gods you're worshiping, you missed one. And he's the essential one because he's the real and true God. And Paul actually creates disharmony. See, what you have to understand is the circle of oneness they all push for, in the end, it actually creates disharmony because they have no answer for the sin problem that people find themselves in, the brokenness of the human spirit. And they will do all they can to actually deny it. Alice Bailey says, The heart of humanity is sound. As if by saying it, it makes it true. But it doesn't make it true. The Course in Miracle that Oprah loves so much says, Man's only, and I emphasize only, sin is not remembering his own perfect, sinless, divine nature. The only devil is our illusion that we are separate from and not part of God. The lack you need to correct is the sense of separation from God. And they say that the problem with the breakup of the circle is not remembering who we are. We just got to remember who we are. You know, Neil Donald Walsh wrote a book called Conversations with God because, you know, he's a pagan and he believes it. And so he says, people just write me questions, so he's like God. So he answers questions as God, okay? That's Conversations with God, just Conversations with Him, okay? so He sold millions of copies of this book, and this is what he says. The only real sin is for man to see himself as simple and separate from God. The only sin is thinking about sin. And this is one of the reasons why we're in the mess that we are. Uh, all the way back in the first century, we had a group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics said we need to wake up to remember who we are. We are divine beings. You need to wake up. But what happens is, well, we fall asleep. And we forget who we are. And we forget who we are. We start to make distinctions in things. And the circle starts to break up. So we must you know, stop thinking so much and just eliminate our distinctions and come together. And there will be no more war and no more discord. And we'll all be united together. Experience and oneness becomes the ultimate truth. And so you will hear things like, listen to your heart. You hear this all the time in movies and TV shows today. Listen to your heart. You know what the Bible says? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and wickedly sick. Who can understand it? They said things like, well, you don't need to think. You just need to feel and get in touch with your higher and conscious self. Carl Young said that, who is a psychologist that a lot of people follow today. Psalm 18.6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. He goes on, and says, "From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears." Now, Houston Smith, who's a, who's a Houston Smith, who's a Buddhist, he was a missionary's kid at one point. Uh, he is now again as a Buddhist. He's considered an expert in world religions, and he sees this difference. This is what he says: Christian prayer uses words. He understands that, but he says, "But pagan prayer sees beyond the god of theism, suggesting that words aren't what you need. You need the experience in that." A Course in Miracles says, Do not make the pathetic error of clinging to the old rugged cross. Your only calling is to devote yourself with active willingness to the denial of guilt in all its forms. Can you imagine a generation that doesn't feel guilt about anything? Yeah, it's close. And it's coming. It really is. Now, right here... Oh, I'm talking about 50 minutes, okay? this is That's kind of our introduction to what you guys are going to get over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the list of what we gave you, hopefully should help you watch the evening news or your favorite TV show or, or whatever. Uh, we want you to be able to, to look at these things and understand what's going on. Uh, these things that, that I've talked about tonight are all over the place. Keep your eyes open, especially over the next three weeks as we go through this so you can see these things. And what you have to understand is that in paganism, the first thing that must go is what makes Christianity what it is. This twoism, this distinction between God and creation. Okay, we that, that we are a people who have actually sinned against God, we've rebelled against a good and holy God, and that God, in order to save us, stepped into his creation, into His creation that he made. He is separate and distinct from it. He steps into it in the person of Jesus to rescue a people who could not rescue themselves. Jesus dies for our sins, for our brokenness, to bring us back into saving relationship with our creator. And that is important. The reason that Christianity is a threat that it is to oneness, to their view of world unity, and why you will see more attacks against it, is that fundamental to who we are, is the belief that there is a creator, and we are the creation, and those things are separate and distinct, and God is a God who makes distinctions. Life from death, darkness from light, men from women, all of these things. And wolves are trying to change Christianity from within today. Uh, There are people who claim to be Christians, and they will write thoroughly pagan books, and they will throw a Christian veneer across the top. They're trying to change who God is and what the gospel is. Paganism defines the essence of Christianity as the fundamental problem with the world. You must understand that. In their view, the biggest threat to world unity and world peace is Christianity. So you cannot walk around thinking that everyone loves you because you say you're a Christian. They love you if you're a Christian and you become part of their pie. True Christianity to them is actually a threat because you will make distinctions between God and man and animal and human and Christ and Satan and life and death and heaven and hell and truth and falsehood and right and wrong and good and evil and sin and holiness and the Bible and other writings and monotheism and polytheism and traditional families versus alternate families and parents and children and male and female and monogamy and polygamy and heterosexuality and any other sexuality and love and pornography. You will make distinctions because our God makes distinctions. See, paganism has to get rid of absolutes, and it has to get rid of distinctions. And do you see why Christianity is a threat to that? True Christianity. Okay, thank you. After all that, I'm like, really? Really? Come on. I mean, their view is that our view is the greatest detriment to people. And yet our view, and the bottom of it all, believes that the greatest threat to people's souls is their oneism. Because they don't understand their condition. They don't understand what sin is and what it's been doing. And that we are not God and we seek after ourselves as God. We spiral and spiral down. And so when I am not advocating that you run around and, and grab signs and yell at people and say how stupid they are and how wonderful we are. I'm saying that when you have a dialogue with people, it helps you to understand what they're thinking, where they're coming from. Even some people who claim Christianity, because you will hear some crazy things out of Christian's mouth. And you'll be like, oh, I know where you're coming from. And it's not that they are blatantly trying to be evil. It's that they have bought so much into this. And a lot of people wonder, right? Well, why does this Christianity thing work for me? Well, one, you're trying to make it about you. You know, and secondly, you you're trying to make everything one. You've got to understand there is a distinction between God and you. This is the central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian and you understand these differences, you should have a deep and abiding love in your heart for people to come to the truth. To the truth. Not to your side of things, but the truth as it has been revealed in the scriptures. The Christian faith is fundamentally different. And you might even be able to, at some point, begin to explain the difference to people in these two circles. Draw them on a piece of paper and say, this is what I believe. I believe this. And this is what our culture is teaching. And you can explain, this is how everything goes into that and why we're having the problems that we are, where these two plates are coming together. See, you probably need to understand paganism better than most pagans do. You really do. Because they bought into it, and a lot of them have no idea what they're actually buying into. Uh, a year ago, I was talking to a guy in the back, and he goes, he goes Well, you know, I'm kind of a Hindu-Buddhist. And and, uh, you know. and I go, I, I go Really? Um, I go, So, you know, what do you do about those poor starving kids in India? Do you think we should help them? Oh, yeah. And I go, Why? That's their karmic destiny. You're not allowed to interfere with that. Because seriously pure hindu that that's what it teaches you don't interfere with their karmic destiny they're going to come back it's samsara the circle of life you can't mess with that and so you know there there's all these things in there and I, I, I did it in a nice way, okay? It wasn't just like, hey, you're stupid, right? I, I, I talked to him for a while. I think even prayed with him when I was done. But I, but I spent some time helping him to understand what he actually says. Because a lot of people who say they believe in, like, Buddhism don't actually believe in real Buddhism. They believe in this hybrid that's, oh, it's all inclusive. It's everything coming together, and it's what I really want to believe in there. That's what, that's what it is. And so they don't get it. But it is this idea of oneness. If we can get people to understand the difference between creation and creator, everything begins to make a little more sense. See, they need you because Jesus has sent you to talk to them and apply hope and truth with clarity. And that's what this Element You series is going to be about. 55 minutes now. Great. Okay, so what I'm going to do is if you want to ask some questions, you can. Uh, If it's something that we are going to be talking about in a later class, I'm going to say... We'll talk about that in another week. But do you have any questions? Yes. No, because there will still be, after, after Jesus comes back, we're we all, we all going to be involved in oneness. No. That's the question for the video, by the way. So, uh, no, because there is still the distinction between creator and creation. I believe that we will have unity because eventually at one point, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take care of all of his enemies. Boom. And then you will have world peace because there will be no more enemies of Jesus. But you've got to understand, our God is patient and kind. I mean, I would not be surprised if we're here 5, 10,000, 100,000 more years because God is that patient. See, what we all want is we're like, oh, Jesus needs to come back and take care of all his evil people right now. Well, what if he came back the day before you believed? Oh, well. But see, this, this is why. I mean, we should pray that Jesus tarries as long as possible because we want people to be saved. Amen. Thanks. Okay, anybody else? Oh, did I just shut you down? Come on. <laughs> Okay, if not, what you can do is uh, you can uh, email us questions, uh, info at our element.org, if you have questions after you go and think about this, because you'll probably have some questions as you begin to process through more and more of this. You've got a lot of information. Uh, next week, uh, Paul, it's my anniversary, so I'm actually going to be here. Uh, Paul is going to be talking about pre-modern, uh, modern, and post-modern, and what that all looks like, and you'll be like, oh, I've heard those terms. You will understand them after next week, and then how all this kind of fits together with it, right? Mm-hmm. Bam! All right. All right, so I... I'm confident in him. I totally am. Oh, he's... All right, so uh, if... (laughs) uh, If there's no questions, I'm just going to pray and send you guys out. No questions? All right. Huh? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God again who has revealed yourself to us. And I ask that we'd be a people who can actually walk in those distinctions that you've called us to, that we can embrace those things that you have called good. That we can understand the difference between light and dark and life and death and truth and things that are untrue. So that we can have this surety in the depths of who we are that, that our God has sought us and our God has saved us and our God loves us. And that we don't need to make ourselves God because we are not good gods. And yet you are. So teach us as a people to trust you even in things that we don't understand a lot of the time. And uh, as, we, as we learn more and more through these four weeks, I ask you to help us to retain a lot of this and have great compassion and love for the people who are lost and so that we can talk about and explain the difference between a great God who has come to save us versus trying to do it all on our own in our own power. How we be people who really and truly simply love you? Amen. Uh, Also, there is a list of books on here. I know you guys probably don't want to read five books before next week, but if you do, there's a list of books in here. Uh, We gave you a uh, link to the Earth Charter that you can actually read if you wanted to. (laughs) Um, And then, uh, yeah, there's also, like I said, some books on there, so you can uh, get those if you want to. And Kayleen will yell in the back. All right, thanks. Hopefully we'll see you next week.